Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Thorough Talk. I'm Thorough Bailey, and I'm just so excited today. Um, when I think of my journey and the people who've impacted my life over the years, I tell you, without this man, uh, it would there would be a big void in it. And I'm going to take you back before I introduce him quickly to when I was a national champion at NC State University and found myself at Madison Square Garden at the NBA draft. And let me tell you, personally, I wasn't quite sure I could make it in the NBA, much less be in the same category as a lot of the first-round draft picks that year and in the 83-84 season. But I heard my name called the seventh pick of the first round to the Utah Jazz, and I was so ecstatic. Um, it was so such a surreal moment. But uh, I, I had made it to the next level. And one of the first people I met when I came to Utah was a man named Frank Layden. And he's going to be our guest today. He's going to take us on a journey. We're going to hear some great stories from him. But I want to ask, first of all, Coach Layden, as I introduce you, how in the world were you able to pick the six foot ten guy who six eleven who only weighed about a hundred and ninety pounds, and you thought that he was going to help change the direction of a Utah Jazz franchise? Welcome, Coach. Well, how you doing, Thurl? It's good to talk to you as always. And uh, let me let me tell you, this is interesting because you know timing and and uh, people you know and what have you. When I first started coaching, uh, it was a high school. I was a, I was a junior high uh, uh, high school coach at a small Catholic school in Rockville Center, Long Island. And nearby, all right, there was a school called Seaford High School, and they had the athletic director and head basketball coach and a very fine referee, by the way, was a man by the name of Rocky Valvano. <laughs> and Rocky had a son who played uh, who played not only uh, football, but he was a shortstop, he was a quarterback, and of course he was a very fine uh, uh, player in, in basketball and later on starred at Rutgers. Well, anyway, that relationship, uh, I got to know Rocky, the, the coach and the athletic director very well through the years, and I kept track of his son, who eventually became your coach at, uh, at North Carolina State. And I can I can remember scouts telling us that uh, you know you were wiry that you could run you could jump, 
and that uh, you were in great physical shape and that you were a very good person. You were, you were intelligent. You had an interest in the arts and acting and, and singing and what have you, and just the kind of guy that we'd like to have on the Utah Jazz. So I called up uh, Jimmy Valvano, and I said, Jimmy, can this guy play in the NBA? Can he play for the Utah Jazz? And he said, Coach, he's just touching the surface now. He said, I wish I had him another four years. He said, you know, the same questions came into my mind when we brought him to North Carolina State. He said, and he turned out to be part of our championship team. He said, he is only going to get better and better. It's uh, He's not even close to who he can be and what he can be. And so uh, based on that, uh, we drafted you, and uh, we never regretted it for one minute. You turned out to be the person we thought you were going to be, and uh, and uh, you, you turned out to be even a a better player than we could have anticipated, and uh, and and of course you, you was you were you were surrounded by good friends and good players, and and uh, we were fortunate to uh, be able to make part of that journey together. Well, thanks, Coach. I, I appreciate that. It meant a lot to me in my life that uh, I knew I probably wasn't the best player available, but with all those things you talked about, it's just great to know that there was a a team uh, interested in those other things. But hey, this isn't about me. I want to talk to Frank Layton. I want to go back. I want to go in the time machine, Coach, and talk okay. about talk about you as a player. I mean, listen, um, Fort Hamilton High School, Brooklyn, New York. Talk well, to me about <laughs> talk to me about those days. Well, you know, uh, I grew up in in Brooklyn. Of course, Brooklyn is a, a big place. It's uh, got five million people. Uh, I lived in the Fort Hamilton section, the Bay Ridge section of Brooklyn. And it was it was basically uh, Irish Catholics uh, who either went to the local Catholic schools or they went, uh, as we say, down the hill to a beautiful uh, school, a new school that was built right before World War II, uh, Fort Hamilton High School. Had 5,000 students. And uh, so I say that because it was competitive. It was competitive if you were trying out for a play or you were trying out for uh, for a team. You know, if you went to you want to be a first baseman, there might be a hundred guys trying out for first right. base. So the guy that finally wow. made it usually was pretty good. But anyway, I went to I went to a little public school, public school uh, uh, PS one eighty five, public school one eighty five. They don't name the they schools in New York after they people numbers, all the time. <laughs> they give them numbers, and then uh, and I I had an interesting situation. Is is my mom passed away? She died when I was born. Uh, in my childbirth. And so my father, who worked in the docks, uh, raised two daughters, my sisters who were, who were 10, and, 10 years and 7 years older than me, and myself. And he was working overtime. So I, I always said that I was brought up by my teachers and by my neighborhood. You know, the neighbors and what have you. Uh, the village. They keep an eye on you. And uh, and uh, I was very fortunate to have people that were, were interested in me. And I had some uh, I had some people at the, at our grade school who who saw that I had some athletic talent or at least an interest in it, and uh, they uh, you know they they alerted the people at Fort Hamilton High School where I was going uh, that I could play baseball. I was a first baseman and catcher, and and I also could play basketball. And and I it was the first time in my life it was my, my high school coach who mentioned that. You know, if I got good grades and I continue to improve and to grow a little bit, that uh, that I'd have a chance to get a scholarship to college. 
And I hadn't thought much about college. I thought that uh, I was destined to, to go to work at a high school or, or maybe to even uh, uh, go into service. A lot of people were joining the service in those days. And, uh, and so I, I didn't know where I was going, but uh, uh, this, is, this was intriguing. I knew one thing. I loved to play. I loved to play sports, and uh, and uh, you know, I it was very competitive. Did you gravitate? Uh, but it was a lot of fun. Did you gravitate more towards basketball, towards the end, obviously, or or did you? You still have a you love know, for both. I, I think I think I think basketball was uh, was more competitive. That it was more available. You know, you need a lot of people. You need a lot of room to play baseball. Uh, so we played in the summer, and I was I was good enough to be offered a contract in, in baseball. In my senior year, uh, I, I was approached by the Dodgers and then offered a contract uh, by the Giants uh, to play in the minor leagues. Uh, but also the Korean War was on, and and uh, I played basketball. You know, in basketball, you always hear about New York, about playing street ball and yeah. and, and playing in the parks. And uh, and that's where I played an awful lot, and we'd play all year long. Baseball, you can't play all year long, but we could play basketball, and We'd have neighborhoods here that, uh, that you know, we'd go to Coney Island, and that's where Lincoln High School was, and they had certain players there that were good, and you'd go down there and play on Saturday mornings or, or uh, Sunday afternoons and uh, and see what the competition was like. And, you know, we, we, we went around the neighborhoods. There, were, there was all sorts of uh, of ethnic groups that played in different areas, and, and we'd go and test them out. So I, I, I think I like both equally. We were big Dodger fans, so we were always rooting for for the Dodgers in baseball. Uh, but but I, I I saw basketball as a better opportunity to advance and to uh, possibly get that scholarship to college than baseball. And speaking of college, Niagara University, Niagara University, and that was interesting too, uh, Thurl, because in my senior year uh, of, of high school. A very unusual thing happened. You know, it should have been the it should have been the best year of my life. When suddenly it got suffered a big blow. In New York City, you cannot strike uh, against the city. So, so the teachers could not go on strike, but they could cut out. And they they had labor problems, so they decided to uh, to not do any extracurricular activities. So all of New York City had no theater. They had no choral groups. They had no newspapers. They had not, nothing that, that was considered extracurricular, and that included sports. So uh, we just didn't have any anybody to play against. And here it was my senior year, that opportunity to get some exposure and get a scholarship to college. Well, anyway, I got a call from a fellow one day. He said he was with the Flatbush Boys Club. And the boys and girls club, of course, were, were all over the nation. And he said he he was he was getting guys from around Brooklyn who had play had good junior years and see if they wanted to play for the boys club in in their senior year. And I I took him up on it, and that's what I did. And we got a chance to go around and play against college freshman teams and other boys clubs around the uh, the state and also over in New Jersey, which was close by. And up in Connecticut and what have you, and we played all these freshman teams, and we got we got exposure. And and one day I got a call from uh, uh, I had I had heard from St. John's, which was local, and LIU, which was local. But uh, but in the meantime, I'd heard about uh, uh, Niagara University. Well, uh, another blow came that there was uh, that was the time of the dumping of the games. 
Right. And a lot of teams, uh, you know, the players were actually uh, taking money to, to control the scores of the games. And there was a big scandal in the 50s, uh, 50 and 51. And a lot of schools, I was, I was scheduled to go to LIU where I could get the room and board money and live at home with my dad and my sisters and, and be able to just take a subway to school every day and play ball in Madison Square Garden. Well, LIU got caught in this scandal. Several of their players were involved in dumping games and uh, and fixing games. And so uh, they dropped sports, of all things. And uh, they honored our scholarship, though, I'll say that for them. But in the meantime, uh, I got a call from Niagara saying, we understand that you, you're not going to be able to go to LIU. Would you be interested to come to Niagara? And that was a, a turn that was very, very important to me. I know you feel the same way about uh, Jimmy Valvano. Well, when I got a chance to go to Niagara, I played for a wonderful coach, a great man who did have an influence on my life later on, even after I, I played. And I went up. His name was John Gallagher, Taps Gallagher. And he was the coach in Niagara. And I went to Niagara where I met my future roommate uh, and and uh, a great coach in his own right was Hubie Brown, Larry Costello, who played in the NBA, Charlie Hoxie, who played for the Harlem Globetrotters. We had very good teams. And, of course, later on, they, they helped me to uh, go from high school into uh, into the pros. But when I, was, uh, when, I got out of high, when I got out of college, I was in the ROTC, and I got a chance to to, uh, I had to go in the army. Now that I got a chance to do it, I had to do it, and so it was. And so I went in as an officer. I met my wonderful wife Barbara, my wife of sixty-two years. Yeah, I know there's uh, a story. She, I know there's a story behind that. We're going to get to that in just a few <laughs> minutes because that that yeah. that's an intriguing story as well. But go ahead. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I as uh, my my time in the service was starting to, to wear down. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I was thinking of maybe going to law school or uh, going to graduate school or going into sales or what have you. I had a business degree. And uh, what happened was uh, I got a call from my coach, the same John Taps Gallagher. And I'll never forget, I was I was uh, in the gym, in fact, working out when someone says, hey, Lieutenant, you got a, you got a phone call, long-distance phone call. So I got on the phone, and Coach Gallagher said, Hey, listen, are you, are you getting out of the Army soon? I said, yeah. In fact, I'm getting out in about uh, six weeks. So he said, well, are you interested in coaching? I said, coaching? What am I going to do coaching? Coaches don't make any money. Coaches, you know, they always seem to be angry and, and uh, everything. And he laughed and said, well, I think I think you'd make a good coach. So I said, well, I don't know what you, you thought, why you think that, because I was a pain in the neck to you all the time. But anyway, said, well, here's an address. Call these people up. And I called them up, and it was a small Catholic school on Long Island. And uh, so I said, okay, I'll uh, I'll uh, give them a call. I, I called. I went for the interview. And they said, yeah, well, we'll, we'll get you certified. And you can uh, you can teach history, and you can coach. So I said, coach? What, what am I going to coach? Well, you'll be, you'll be the junior high basketball coach. You'll be the JV baseball coach. And you'll be an assistant football coach. So I said, well, that's good. I said, I don't know very much about any of them, but I'll try. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was like, I was, I was, I was like uh, Ben Affleck in the movie all the way back, if you haven't seen it. And, and I said, there I was uh, going, into, uh, going into coaching. But I needed a job. 
and uh, Barbara was working, and uh, and we we had just started out in our lives, and of course that was the first step, and I found something out. I loved it. I loved working with the kids. I loved the competition. When people even ask me now, do I miss coaching? I said, no, I miss playing. I said, but I loved coaching at the high school level. It was it was wonderful, and we had a lot of fun with the kids, and I learned a lot too. I wasn't I was a junior high coach. And the, the coaches that were above me were high school coaches, and they were very knowledgeable, and I learned a lot from them. And I, I think that's one of the keys, Darrell. I think I can see that you've done that, and, and Mark Eaton has done it. And, you know, uh, you know I think the, the idea that you see other people out there, and you, you learn from them, and you listen, and, and that's what I tried to do. And, and I, even when I got to the pros, Larry, uh, Ubi Brown had played, uh, had, uh, had, uh, coached with Larry Costello. He had been in a uh, professional basketball for years when, when he hired me to be his assistant and, and gosh, he was so knowledgeable. And he said, listen, listen to me for a couple of years. He said, you'll be ready to move on. He was right. And that's, that's exactly the steps I took. I went from coaching in high school where I coached, uh, on the junior high level for, and JV for about three years, seven years as a head coach, 10 more years in, in college coaching, and then, of course, uh, around 13 in the pros wow. with one year in the women, the WNBA. Yeah. And that was, that was the, the, they were the toughest because they were smarter than I was. <laughs> I never thought, I never worried about being, having the men being smarter than me, but the women all were. I hear you, coach. Hey, we're going to take a quick break here and we're going to come back and and continue that next level coaching and also talk about uh, there's a guy who when you coached at Niagara University helped take you to the first NCAA tournament Calvin Murphy let's do it we'll talk about in just a minute I'm Dave Cauley investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold in October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Hello, everybody. We're back. Welcome back to Thorough Talk. And we've been talking to Frank Layden, my former head coach with the Utah Jazz and just a man with a great personality, many stories. And, Coach, uh, before we get into that next phase of your life in basketball at the pro level and, and, the, and the, even the college level, uh, I want you to tell me the story about you and your wife Barbara's union. There's a uh, there's, you know, my son plays at Marquette University. That's why I love the story. 
and then you've got a connection to that. So, so tell us about yeah. you and Barbara's union. Well, you know, Thurl, as you know, one of the things, it's, it's not always about money and, and coaching or, or playing or what have you. It's your relationships. You get to meet a lot of people. And, and growing up in Brooklyn, we'd, we'd play in the playgrounds or down the beaches and what have you. And there was the famous McGuire family. Dick McGuire was a great player for St. John's and the Knicks and Hall of Fame caliber player. And, and of course, his brother was Al McGuire, who was a great defensive player and and a good player for the Knicks and played for St. John's. They both played for St. John's, and they both played for the Knicks. Well, anyway, uh, Barbara and I, uh, we, we knew a lot of the same people, you know, having traveled around Brooklyn, going to dances, going to games and stuff like that. But anyway, uh, this one time I was uh, I was uh, home on a, on a pass from the Army for, for a long weekend, and I was uh, bobbing along uh, one of uh, in Bay Ridge. It was a Ridge Boulevard, and uh, I had my sneakers on and shorts. And I was headed down to one of the playgrounds to see if I could get a game. Uh, when this uh, car pulled up next to me, and it was some friends of mine said they were going to Long Island. They were going out to the Rockaways in Queens, and they wanted to uh, know if I wanted to go along with them. They were going to play some some basketball. So I said, "Yeah, I'm with you." So I jumped in the car. And they took me over to my car when I followed them because I, I didn't want to get stuck out there in, in Queens. I, I had to have a way to get home. So anyway, I followed them out there. And it was, it was interesting because, uh, you know, talk about the connections. We got we did play. And, uh, you know, I remember uh, being there. Colleen K. Hutchins was there who had a, 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 a connection with the people who are familiar with her would know she was Miss America. And she went to the University of Utah. Mel Hutchins was her brother, was a great star, one of the great players, uh, one of the great all-time players at BYU. And, uh, of course, uh, Kay being as beautiful as she is. And, and Mel Hutchins played for the Knicks, so knew the McGuire's real well. And uh, he wanted to uh, he wanted to make sure that, uh, uh, that his uh, sister met uh, the great uh, Ernie Vandeway, who who was captain of the Knicks and a, and a great player and also a future doctor. He was so smart that he went to medical school at Columbia and played for the Knicks at the same time. So you can imagine how smart wow. he had to be to do that. Yeah. And anyway, uh, they ended up uh, hooking up, uh, and they were at the beach that day, too, at the same time. And, of course, we all know about uh, their their son, uh, Ernie, Ernie Vandeway's son was... Uh, Kiki. Was uh, uh, Kiki Vandeway, who later on played for the for the Lakers. I think at the same time you did play oh, for, yeah. for the. Remember, yeah, you knew him. I remember those matchups. You told me to go out and guard him. I said, yeah. "What, coach?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was a great guy, and he works in the league office now. And he's a smart kid and everything. And yeah, I think well, he... anyway, they were there that day, and well, the day was over, and I uh, sashayed into the bar to have a beer before I went home, and Al McGuire came up to me and said, hey, Frank, what are you doing now? What are you doing with your life? I said, I'm in the Army. You know, he said, you're in the Army. I said, yeah, you know, just the end of the Korean War. And I said, yeah, I was in the ROTC. I said, got, a, got, a, got about a year to go. And he said, okay. He says, listen, do me a favor. But uh, we got a girl here, and uh, her her girlfriend stood her up. And, and uh, uh, you know, she met some guy, I guess, and went with him and left Barbara there. Barbara would have to take the 
the, the subway home, which was like a an hour and a half ride, two hours at night on the subway. She had been at the beach that day, too. And she said, uh, can you give her a lift? And, and she had been this restaurant uh, sort of resort hotel that the McGuire's owned. And so I said, uh, yeah, I can, I can give her a, you know, he says, yeah, she lives near you, lives near me. Brooklyn's like Oklahoma. You know, it's huge. <laughs> so anyway, any, I'm, so I'm sitting there, and you can imagine the, how you're feeling. I mean, nobody is going to walk in with a beautiful girl. Well, they walked in with a girl that was as pretty as Kay Hutchins was. I mean, she was a beautiful blonde, statuesque. And he said, this is the young lady. Well, I'll tell you, I almost fainted. The only other time I ever said, uh, uh, prayed, is when uh, it was about a blonde, too, is when I first met Mark Eaton. When I saw Mark Eaton walking towards me, I said, hey, God, I said, oh, please let this be him. And that's what I said that day. I said, oh, oh dear God, please let this be her. I love it. And so anyway, I drove her home to Brooklyn, and uh, she lived... I, Brooklyn's so big that it would be equivalent to to me living in Ogden and her living in uh, Provo, you know. Yeah. But anyway, I drove her home, and uh, and a year later we got married, and we spent we spent almost a year together in the army, and uh, and uh, of course uh, that was sixty two years ago. 62. So I've been married to her for sixty two years, 62. and uh, had three wonderful children, and and uh, Katie and. And Michael, and of course uh, Scott Layden, who's uh, is has been with the Jazz for years, and and now in the pros, yeah, with the uh, Timberwolves. Oh, yeah, that's a so great. So that was the hookup. And you know, I think <laughs> I think Thoreau, you know, it's all it's all how it is now. You know, we, I've talked about this relationship with Jimmy Valvano's dad. Yes, that brings Jimmy Valvano to me. That brings me to you. Yeah, and then I'm Al McGuire. You know, who we're 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 banging around playing against each other for years and knew each other not real well but but enough to compete against each other and he introduces me to uh you know the love of my life barbara lane and so it's uh it was uh it was it's interesting and i think that you know you think money is the only way you're going to be rich but sometimes it's acquaintances it's friends it's it's uh it's attitudes it's uh, it's uh, it's timing that is really important in your life that is awesome frank Let's get to uh, your next level coaching. Obviously, you were at uh, Niagara University from six, 1968 to 1976. Um, yes. Had some good teams. Uh, went to the NCAA tournament with Calvin Murphy in 1970. How was that? Yeah, you know, uh, the one thing I learned, and I learned this from, from Luke Anaseka, uh, I met and got to know very well when I was coaching high school in Long Island. I had some players that went to St. John's. And it is that, uh, you know, a good coach is one who wins when he has good players. You know, Johnny Wooden said that, and I think it's the truth. You have to have good players. Now, a lot of times, coaches will have good players and not win. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, I, I, I was coaching at a small college on Long Island, uh, Dowling college for two years i was their first coach the school just opened and we had just started the program when niagara uh, uh was uh, a fire deck coach who was a fellow who had played with me in fact at niagara jimmy maloney and the president of the school called me saying you know i'd been recommended by luke conasecker and some of the people at st john's and i, I had good high school teams whatever was i interested in coaching at niagara 
So I, I, I thought, well, of course I am, you know. And uh, anyway, I, I took the job, and uh, and of course the star of the team was the guy who make or break me. Right. And that was the great Calvin Murphy. And Calvin Murphy was about, was about 5'10". He could dunk the ball. He had great range. They didn't have the three-point shot in those days that they did. I don't know how many points he would have scored. He was, he was fast as could be. He never got tired, Thurl. He was like you. I can remember you when we when you first came with the Jazz and we were over at Westminster and they put you on the treadmill. Like a and I asked day. Sparky, our trainer, and he said, he said, that guy, he says, I don't know what else he can do. He says, but he's a racehorse. <laughs> he said, he, he, he'll stay on that, that treadmill forever. He said, he never gets tired. So I said, well, that's a good start, you know, and, and that was the way Calvin Murphy was. Calvin Murphy was a tough guy. He was tough with his fists. He was tough mentally, and he loved basketball. He loved to practice. And he loved to play. I mean, and you know, when you get good players who like to practice, they like to be there. Yeah. All right. They can have a lot of other problems, maybe, but at least you know you're going to get guys to come and compete. And that's what he did. And uh, of course, uh, we did have good teams, and we had some fine players. Uh, Bob Churchwell was a guy who later on his son was a good player at Georgetown. We had Marshall Wingate, who was the high scorer of the NIT one year. Uh, I mean, we had we had good people too. Al Williams, who had a shot with the Milwaukee Bucks, and and we had good players. There's no doubt about that. And and I sort of, I think I sort of grew with them, and and eventually uh, that that took me. I stayed with Niagara then for eight years uh, before I got a chance to go to the pros with my former roommate Yubi uh, Brown. Yeah, and you 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 spent uh, what three years with him as an assistant. Yeah, and it was good. You know, I remember I remember talking to Lou Conasecker about making the transition from college to the pros, and 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 uh, Lou had done that. Lou Conasecker had done that. He had gone from the from St. John's to the Nets uh, in the ABA, and and he said he wasn't ready for it. He wasn't ready for the amount of games, the back to back games, the uh, the long road trips, the lack of practice and preparation sometimes scouting that you know one thing about college there's more time to get ready to prepare that's right and you only play a third of the games yep. and so you have to accustom yourself to that and he thought the fact that i was going as an assistant to ub at atlanta with the atlanta hawks that that would be a uh, an excellent chance for me to adapt myself to the pros or find out that no i don't want to be in the pros louis Louis said he paid a terrible price. Fortunately, he was able to come back to St. John's and continue with his Hall of Fame career. But you don't always get that opportunity to get back. Yeah. So anyway, I said, "Well, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a shot at it then." And, and in that three years as an assistant coach, if I don't like it or it, it overwhelms me, then I will I'll choose not to. But along the way, it, it seemed to work out. But you must have got the bug, Coach, because 1981, you took over. For Tom Nasalki in New Orleans. Yeah, you know what happened is is, uh, and that was not a plan. I, I would have been perfectly happy if uh, if I had just stayed in the front office. I had had a lot of games, a lot of a lot of time, uh, coaching, and and uh, I I thought, well, that's okay. Well, it was unfortunate. Uh, Tom ran into some problems. Uh, as I said before, he was a good coach. We didn't have very good players. That's why we were in uh, in Utah. Mm-hmm. Someone said to me once, uh, 
why are you moving the team? Uh, you know, I said, well, we're not very good. If we were very good, we would have stayed in New Orleans. Gotcha. There's no bad cities. There's only bad teams. And uh, if you have a good team, you could play anywhere. Yeah. And uh, people will come to see you. And so anyway, uh, uh, when when Tom, uh, when the owners decided that Tom had enough and they were going to replace him, actually I took over as interim coach. Mm-hmm. And that had been my intention, to maybe finish that year, and then we would we'd go out and look around. But at the end of the year, we had improved, and uh, and uh, I think any time you have a coaching change, it seems there's always a, the new bride gets special attention, and uh, we got a little better. And then uh, you know I I I said, well, I'll give it another year. I'll try another year, and that that turned into a few years. And uh, you know I had good help. Scotty Layton helped me a lot. And of course, uh, Jerry Sloan. We hired him, and he was a big asset. And, and the Jazz, uh, we also got some good players like yourself and, and Mark Eaton. And, uh, and uh, you know, uh, I, I think of guys, some of the guys weren't big stars, but the Bobby Hansons of the world. And, and uh, you know, we, we were fortunate uh, to have have good players, guards, and then and then to eventually get, uh, uh, get uh, Carl Malone and John Stockton. Well, you talked about the new bride. Obviously, at a certain point, the honeymoon's over. And I came... When I came to the team in, in that 83-84 season, uh, I had no idea really how tough the previous years were. Daryl Griffith, the great Daryl Griffith from Louisville, yeah. pulled me aside as a young rookie, and he said, Daryl, listen, I won a national championship in college, so did you, but listen, we haven't had great seasons here, so you better get used to not winning a lot. And so um, I remember getting that speech from him. But that particular year, things start, seemed to start to come together. That was the first year the Jazz made the playoffs. Tell me a little bit about those rough years and getting through that. Well, I think uh, you have to, you know, you have a feeling about the rough years. You, you try to shed the idea that you are fault. And some of it is, of course. You start to make bad decisions because you're, you're anxious to win and and maybe you move and do things that uh, you normally wouldn't do uh, to try and rush things forward. Uh, I thought that one of the problems that uh, Tom Nassau had was every time we lost a game, he wanted to, he wanted to change everything. He wanted to change our whole team. Yeah. And so you got to have patience. You got to look at uh, are you going young or what have you. And don't forget that we were we were fortunate. We picked up Ricky Green, and you'll have to help me. Who was the big guy we picked up uh, with Jeff Ricky? Jeff Wilkins, he came down. You know, both guys in the minor leagues who had been passed over and, and uh, by other teams, and I guess we just we were we were ripe for them, and both of them played good for us. Ricky, uh, you know, made the All Star team. That's right. One year, and of course, he was a great college player. But people said he couldn't shoot, he couldn't do this, he couldn't do that. But but I'll tell you what, Ricky could win. And so anyway, uh, you know, it, it, patience is one of the things that I think you learn in, in losing, you know. And uh, you, you also you look out and you say, well, if I had that guy or I had this guy, well, I don't have him. So I got to go along with what I have, you know. And we had some guys that other people didn't think they could make a Mark Eaton would be a perfect example. People said, oh, Mark Eaton, he can't play. He couldn't play for UCLA. But he was right for us. Yes. And it wasn't all about the rebounding. You know, I know uh, – they throw 
comparisons out with with our recent uh, uh, Gobert, who plays. He's a fine player for the Jazz now. But the one thing that that uh, that uh, if you remember uh, that Mark Eaton could do, he's a great outlet passer. Yes, he could get the ball to our point guards. First it was Ricky, and then later on it was John. And once you do that, then you're on your way. You know, I used to say, you know, offense and 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 spreading the offense starts with the rebound. It starts with the block shot. And, of course, Mark was just uh, magnificent at getting the ball up the floor. And uh, and uh, and then uh, we we had a great fast break and scored a lot of points on the break that, that a lot of teams are not able to get. Yes, we did. And, and Coach, uh, 1984 became a pretty special year. Not only did we win the uh, the Midwest Division that year and got into the playoffs, but at the end of the year, you were the coach of the year, the all-star game coach. You were awarded the J. Walter Kennedy Award, executive of the year. Not a bad year for you, particularly because you were patient and you, you allowed your players to, to develop and you helped them develop. Uh, it was I, I remember my rookie season being very special. Well, you know, I think I think one of the things is uh, uh, there's a couple of things that come to mind. I think of you, Thurl, uh, in, in, in the subsequent years. I remember we were at uh, Dixie College uh, and, uh, and uh, having a training camp, and some some during uh, you know the players were around me. I usually didn't let that happen, but this particular time there was uh, the players that got around me. I was talking about the, the second workout that day. Uh, about practicing that night, and all of a sudden I heard you say, shut up! And I said, what the heck is he? I turned around, and a couple of rookies were probably talking, and I don't know, one of them might have been Billy Donovan or something, but uh, you you yelled at him and said, the man's teaching us how to win! And then uh, when I heard that, I said, well, I, I think we're going to be all right this year because we're getting some leadership, we're getting some pride in which players uh, feel about uh, about how good this team is, and we, you know, I thought that that we had players on our team who liked each other, who respected each other, and also were willing to play as a team. You know, there was uh, there was no backbiting I knew about. Uh, they they had a feeling that uh, we were all in this together, and and that I was showing patience. You know, that we we weren't gonna we weren't gonna live or die. On one horse, or, or there was always going to be another day. And uh, the other thing is that the '84 team was interesting, is we never had any injuries. Yes, everybody played all the time. Yeah, and I think a lot of that had to do with uh, with the conditioning too. I think we were a, a well-conditioned team. I think we were an intelligent team, and uh, and we played hard, and we were consistent. And we, yeah, we didn't have any load management. There you go, days. Coach. I, you know, I still can't figure <laughs> out what that is, but you're right. And, and and we loved to play. I mean, we weren't about to miss a game if we didn't have to. Yeah, um, yeah. But you 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 noticed that as as uh, as we went on in years, and and Carl, well, Lone you know, John you get you get a you get a feeling about uh, the way it is to be done, and I think the Yankees have that. For instance, they have pride uh, built up over years of winning. And, and knowing it's the right way to do things. And I think after a while, we started to, to become uh, a jazz team that we did things the jazz way. Well, and there was a lot of pride. How we, how we dress, how we dress for practice. That's right. Shirts tucked in, socks pulled up. 
no nonsense, you know. And coach, one of the things uh, I remember about you was that you took the time, even at the NBA level, you took the time to get to know the individual players. Now, we all had different personalities, obviously, and different roles. But I remember the gifts you used to give us. You know, other than you know having those talks with us, you used to buy books for us. How was that important to you? Well, you know what? I had a feeling, and I've, I've said this to, to not only just uh, people that are coaching, but people that are in business also, that if the employees being, in this case, uh, I'm the employer and you're the employees as, as players, if the employees get the idea that the person uh, in authority is really interested in their outcome and how they're going to be, I try to push the idea, if you recall, that, that we we were, that basketball was temporary. Yes. And sooner or later, we were going to have to, uh, we were going to have to live up to uh, another standard of living. And it wasn't always going to, you weren't always going to be somebody special. Oh, there are some players, I suppose, that, you know, uh, uh, you know, people know who they are for the rest of their lives, and, and that's it. People in the in the community and what have you, but uh, they get to, to remember who the players are. But you know, there's more to life than that. I think players have to have to appreciate other things, whether it's good music, theater, other sports. You remember a couple of times we went to other, see a baseball game. Yes. We went to see a football game. We, you know, it was uh, or we discussed the books. Uh, those things, the chapel service. Yes. You know, I was talking to the Reverend uh, Franz Davis uh, uh, from the Baptist Church in uh, the Calvary Baptist Church in Salt Lake City about the influence you have on the players is may in those things be more permanent than whatever success they have in basketball. You know, you can say it over and over again, but basketball is temporary. You know, uh, all the other things intellectually are permanent. And so how you leave the players... And I, I think the players feel if you, and you can tell me if this is true or not, if you feel you do things for them and you're interested in them, I'll give you an example. We had a, a situation where Mark Eaton was just, he was frustrated and everything. And I think Rich Kelly came to me and said, you better talk to Mark. He's, he's got a problem and he's afraid to bring it to you, you know? And I said, well, I shouldn't feel that way. So I, I called Mark in the office and I said, Mark, what, what's bothering you? What's wrong? He says, well, next Saturday, my sister's getting married. So I said, so? So he goes, well, I'd love to go to the wedding. He says, but we're playing Dallas. So I said, go to the wedding. We're going to play Dallas again later on. And nobody is that important. I mean, you could you could twist your ankle and you'd miss the Dallas game anyway. Well, you know what? He went to the wedding because that was a once-in-a-lifetime thing for him yes. and for his sister, and he should be there. Well, I think that, that, of course, in Mark's case, he understood that, hey, you know, coach, coach cares for me. Yes. And he's going to play, he's going to give me that extra mile because of that. You know, I give you an example. I never know is that, you know, something, the end of his career, you know, somebody would come up to me and say, you know, Carl Malone, you know, is a tough guy and a rough guy and everything else. And with tears in his eyes, say, coach, thank you. Everything I have, I owe to you. And that makes it worth it while to me, but it also showed me that why he played the way he did. Yeah. He played hard. Yeah, he was giving back. Well, Coach, that's I, important. I want to ask you about one part of your career. I think I, I was a part of the team, obviously, and and you knew every player. You knew you were so good at handling maybe difficult situations, but I want to bring up the name Adrian Dantley. 
I mean, Adrian yeah. obviously was a great, great player. Um, a wonderful player who I knew the longest. Yes. I knew, I knew Adrian when he was a high school player. Yeah. And then I knew him when he played with the Buffalo Braves and brought him over to my camps and stuff like that. I would say this, if I look back at my career, were there things I would change? Were there things that were, that were, I would, I knew were wrong or what have you. I think I handled the referees very poorly. I think I was too confrontational. In the beginning, I thought I was defending our team and adding a, an element to them that we didn't have, and I was fighting and, and being tough and all that. But when I kept it up, it was too much. And I, if I had, if I could have uh, undo that, I would have. The other thing is, the Dantley situation was totally my fault. I was the adult. I was the parent, and I should have resolved it. All right, uh, and I could have resolved it. And I and and he, his agent was a tough guy. He was a tough guy to get along with. But but it was workable, and I didn't do it. And as a result, uh, we probably didn't. Uh, get the Adrian Daly, we could have. Right. I mean, we were pretty good. Now, I, letting him go probably didn't hurt the uh, didn't hurt uh, 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 Carl any because you know they were both up and what have you. We ended up with with Carl Malone being the third high scorer in, in the league history. But uh, I think there was a room for both of them, and yeah. we could have made it work out. And I didn't do it. So that was my mistake. That was that was. I mean, I made a lot of mistakes, but that certainly was was one of them. Well, yeah, I w- if I had to do it over again, I would have handled that a lot differently. I tried to make it up to him when you know we heard that the reason he wasn't getting into the Hall of Fame was because he wasn't he didn't get his number retired with the Jazz. Right. Well, you know, we so we took care of that. Right. Someone came to me. And, and Larry Miller or somebody said, well, what do you think? What do you want to do with him? Larry didn't like him at all. Sam Battistone loved him. I says, of course, let's retire his number. Let's get him in here. Let's honor him. I said, that's that's water over the bridge. It's gone, you know. The guy, you can't deny, he was a great player. Cannot. And, you know, he could have been in the Hall of Fame, really, on based on a lot of things. He was a great, he was college player of the year. He was high scorer of the nation. Yeah. He was a gold medal winner in the Olympics. You know, well, then, and a pretty good guy, I think. You know, yeah. he was he was all right. He, you know, yeah. If you got to know and, uh, him, you know, you, yeah. you, you had to kind of yeah. break some barriers. But um, I, I do want to go into you talked about uh, you know all the things that came with coaching, but obviously they, they they became a point in your life where you got tired. You know, and and even though on on one side of the coin, maybe sad for us, but you introduce us to another guy who would become a Hall of Fame coach. So take me yeah. through that period when you knew well, it was time. I I had thought about it at the beginning of the season. I, and I probably, if I had to do over again, I would have done it before the season. Again, it was a mistake on my part. I would have done it before the season started. One of the things that did happen, though, is I wanted us, I wanted to quit when we were on top, and I did. You know, we, we end up being conference champions and, 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 uh, you know, I knew we had a good team, and if we stayed healthy, we were going to be a very good team. Jerry was waiting in the wings, and he said he said a wonderful thing to me. He said, "I will stay and be your assistant for the rest of my life." Wow. He said, "I have no, I don't, I don't look forward to going anywhere else. I'm not looking for a job and everything." So it wasn't like we were afraid 
we were going to lose Jerry. I believed him. I thought he was going to stay with us and what have you. But he was ready. Scott was ready. And I thought we, uh, you know, and, and I really believe this. I think I had been coaching maybe the same guys a little bit too long and that Jerry and Scotty would take them to the next level. And he, and they did. And Jerry certainly did, you know, and and went on to uh, an NBA, uh, uh, a Hall of Fame uh, playing and coaching career, which he deserved. And so I think I left at the right time. Uh, I, like I say, I would I would have done it in the beginning of the season. I think that would have been really the right time. But I was just worn out. You know, I was worn out fighting with the referees. I think they were starting to hurt us. Uh, by fighting me back and making calls that maybe uh, would have been otherwise. I'm not saying they were dishonest or what have you, but I think I provoked them to where they they certainly could hurt us, and uh, uh, I didn't want that to happen anymore, you know. Yeah. And and I was just tired, and I wanted to start spending time with Barbara and with with the other children I had. You know, I I had uh, you know Michael and and Katie who were uh, 10, 11 years, 12 years younger than than Scott and I wanted to start spending some some time with them. I had I'd missed most of Scott's playing time and, and his career. He he it was it was wonderful to have him working with us. I tried to make up my missing his life by doing that, but it was the right time and I'll I'll tell you I was so relieved. But then I got worried. I said, Chief, what if they don't do good? But they did better. And the team did great and and the rest is history. I mean, uh, Jerry Jerry took them as as far as they could go, and I I think when we didn't win a championship was uh, was uh, we had uh, I think uh, when Mark Eaton was hurt, we didn't beat Houston, or uh, we would have won one of those two ga- uh, uh, series to to win the championship. And of course, uh, that's when Michael Jordan was playing baseball. Yes. And then when Michael Jordan came back, the great games with Chicago were wonderful. And that was another thing, you know. It it always appeared to me, Thurl, that, that we should have fun. Yes. And I'll never forget that when when we had that seven-game series with the Lakers and we lost the seventh game in in Los Angeles, and I said to, to, uh, to uh, Pat Riley after it was over at the press conference, well, that was fun. And he said, it sure was. <laughs> Uh, Larry Miller blew it too. He couldn't believe. Well, losing isn't fun. <laughs> uh, but sometimes it is. You know, sometimes just the competition itself is wonderful, and and it was. It was a great ride. I had enough. You know, ten years of high school, ten years in the, in college, and then uh, you know, almost thirteen thirteen years in the pros. Yeah. I made one other mistake, and that was. Coaching the women, I took the women over when we needed a coach for Utah Stars. For half, half, yeah, for half the season, and not a, it wasn't a mistake coaching the women. I would love to coach the women, but I was too old, mm-hmm. and 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 I was tired, and it, it was they they deserved better than what I could give them, and I wish I'd done it earlier in my life. I, I I found the women delightful. They worked hard. They had good standards, and they were fun to be around and work with. But I just didn't do a good job of them. So I got. I realized that too right away, and I got out of that. But uh, uh, and I think also, women should be coached by women. I don't think women are going to advance in that in their profession if they are letting men take their jobs. I'd like to see uh, the women's league be refereed by women and 
and also administered by women and, and coached by women, you know. But however, I did it for for uh, about a couple of months, uh, the end of one season, the beginning of another season, and I realized, oh, this is a mistake. I'm out of here. <laughs> well, Coach, you said uh, you said the rest is history, and it's been a really great history. Uh, I'm so proud as one of your former players to have been able to to cross paths with you and and be on that list of guys that uh, that help hopefully advance the team and and you you always brought great coaching but you brought another side to the game that really told us that this is not the most important thing in your life you know you've got to lighten up a little bit so I'm I'm so appreciative of you uh, yeah being a mentor in my life and coming on the show and and just well to- you know I always thought. You know, you're you're a perfect example of it, and uh, so many of our other players. You know, uh, Carl, he's doing well in business. Uh, he called me up on Christmas morning, uh, wish me seven thirty in the morning, by the way, from Louisiana, <laughs> and uh, says, wish me a merry Christmas. But you know, I mean, I see so many of our players have gone on to do things with their life, and uh, I, I'm proud of them that they've done that. Uh, they're all proud that they played for the Jazz. You know, uh, and 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 have uh, have managed to be part of a, a great tradition, and that's important because you're right. Basketball is temporary, and I know you're teaching that to your son, who is playing at a wonderful school, Marquette. Where before I mentioned, uh, you mentioned Al McGuire. Al McGuire, of course, introduced me to Barbara, and uh, and so you know, and he co- he had great coaching career at Marquette. As another good friend of mine. Uh, uh, was uh, the coach at uh, the University of Utah, Rick Majerus. Yeah, was like also uh, uh, he was a great coach, and uh, and also a graduate and a, a player for Al McGuire and coached at Marquette also. So you know, uh, yeah, but but basketball's temporary. It's all the other things that basketball brings to us: good friends, uh, players who remain friends through the years. Calvin Murphy and I are close friends. I mean, you know, I think uh, Thurl and I, uh, 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 Adrian and I have made up uh, at least, uh, uh, you know, as, as well as can be expected. Yes. And I don't think there's anybody out there that I don't like, including including some of the officials uh, that I had <laughs> runs in with. I mean, I realize it's a tough job. And uh, when I see them, they seem to, uh, we treat each other with respect. It's a great run. It beats working and uh, it beats not working. <laughs> and, uh, and and you've managed to do that, uh, Thurl, uh, uh, very, very well. Well, thanks, you've, Coach. You've, you've, you've done very well with your life, and you can be very proud. And you're, you're a nifty dresser, too. <laughs> you know, and I was picked the worst dressed in the NBA one year. Can you believe that? <laughs> I can't believe it, Coach. I just can't. <laughs> hey, Coach, I appreciate you so much. Give my love to Barbara. And yes. uh, I love you. Thank you God for being here. God bless on you show. and your family. And, uh, and keep up the good work, and, and uh, remember, it's about having fun. This is not a dress rehearsal. We only go through here once, so enjoy the ride. Thank you, God Coach. God bless. God bless you. Okay. Thank you, buddy. Bye. Bye.